You're listening to Group, a podcast about mental illness and mental health. This is the show for the warriors. I can't turn my mind off. It keeps running and thinking and making lists. The overanalyzers. He's running a little late. He got held up at work. Or maybe he's dead. Oh, God, he's dead! And the depressives. I just wanted to do something light and fun to distract me from the deep well of sadness that is my life. To the folks looking into treatment options, we're here to share some things that have worked for us. You know, I'm not embarrassed to admit it, took some pretty intensive therapy. To the folks who are a little skeptical, you're welcome here as well. So you don't believe in therapy? No, I, I, yeah, I, I believe in it for some people. Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, your resident anxious person, and I'm here with group friendipist, clinical social worker, Catherine Drury. Hello, everyone. How, how are you doing today, Catherine? I'm doing all right. It's feeling like spring in January, I which know, thank is God. always kind of a nice surprise. February 2nd is Groundhog's Day, right? So that gives us the official... Oh, yeah, because that's very scientific. Exactly. Normally, we have our third friend here hosting with us, science writer Ian Chant. He wasn't able to make it today, but he'll be back soon. And he misses all of you very, very much. Um, so today, group is about how to find a good, affordable therapist. I mean, kind of finding any sort of provider can be really challenging, like a yeah. good PCP, GYN. Yeah, someone that you, yeah. that you fit with. But finding a therapist can seem particularly hard. For sure. There are some unique barriers. I'm currently on therapist number seven. Wow. Um, yeah. So the shortest one that I saw was a couple of sessions and the longest one uh, was six years. I, I recently stopped seeing her because I lost the fancy insurance that I had uh, that mm. was paying for her $400 sessions that I you know, can't afford without that insurance. So now that I've switched to life as a freelancer, I've just recently started seeing someone new. Have you had good luck with therapists in the past? As a therapist, <laughs> have you even had a therapist before? Yeah, I, I was in therapy a few years ago, and I was very fortunate. I was able to see the same therapist for as long as I needed to, and she was just someone who I was referred to by the school that I was attending at the mm -hmm. time. Would you even go to see a therapist who hadn't been in therapy before? Like, I mean, I personally think it's very important for clinicians to have been in therapy before. Some programs, um, grad schools do require it, that you're attending therapy while you're completing your program. I think it's significant both to kind of work through some of your own stuff and What's what do they say on airplanes? Put on your own ox oxygen mask before you help the person next to you and kind of having a clear view of what some of your own struggles are. Um, but then also just to have that experience of being vulnerable to a complete stranger and telling your story and working on skills, I think builds a lot more empathy than when, when you're the clinician providing the services. Coming up on Group, we'll hear from the author of Talk It Out, How to Find the Right Therapist and Get What You Need to Feel Better. We'll talk with her about why it's so hard to get an appointment with someone good. I called like 20 psychiatrists, sent emails, and I only, I only got about three responses. 
We'll break down some affordable options. We'll talk about red flags and how to decide what sort of therapist is right for you. One of the biggest mismatches that I've found is people seeking out the wrong type of mental health provider. And we'll discuss the best way to end a relationship with a therapist when they're not a good fit. Some of them I broke up with by just ghosting them. <laughs> That's bad, but yeah, it is what it is, I guess. I spoke with Dr. Anna Charbonneau, a clinical psychologist based in Seattle. She's the author of the book, Talk It Out, How to Find the Right Therapist and Get What You Need to Feel Better. I just wanted to start by asking her when you should start looking into therapy. One of the things that I caution people about is how, how bad does it have to get before you're willing to seek help? So a lot of people end up waiting and waiting and waiting and things get worse and worse and worse, and then they'll go to therapy. Let me be clear, that's a fine time to go to therapy, but do you have to wait until it gets so bad? And so I usually say like if you're, if problems have been going on longer than a couple weeks, if problems are really severe, it's really impacting, like you're not sleeping well, or you're having trouble managing your emotions, or you're just feeling overwhelmed, when you notice that is the time to get into therapy. And the earlier you can catch it sometimes, the easier it is to help. Like it's so much easier to course correct earlier rather than later. So it's so much easier to help people who's, who've been having trouble sleeping for a couple months rather than five or six years, because those patterns kind of get ingrained and they go on and on. Um, and so pretty much my answer is like, anytime you, the thought occurs to you, hey, maybe I need some help. That's an awesome time um, to, to get into therapy. So um, I thought Dr. Charbonneau made, made a really good point that, uh, you know, it's easier to help someone when you first start having issues because those patterns will, you know, get ingrained and then they're harder to fix. Definitely. And the deepest kind of most productive work in therapy is actually done when someone's not in crisis. And so whether it's seeing a therapist before you get to that point or continuing to work with a therapist after the, the crisis moment is over, mm -hmm. um, those periods when people feel like they may not be in dire need of a therapist are actually the, 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 the periods of, of clinical work that are most fruitful. A common thing that I hear is that uh, people think their issues aren't that bad, that mm. they don't need they don't need therapy because maybe they don't have some sort of severe psychological disorder that's like interrupting their life, but they're just like not feeling great, you know? And a lot of it too has to do with what your support system looks like. Um, you may be feeling relatively okay, but if you've just moved to a new city or had some friends leave or gone through any sort of career or education transition, um, you may not have that immediate support network and a, and a therapist can provide that space. Dr. Charbonneau recommends doing a little self-reflection and research before reaching out to someone. I definitely recommend that people sit down and think about, all right, what do I actually want from therapy. So sometimes people just come in and they're like, I'm just distressed, you know, like I just don't feel good. And so, but they don't really have a good understanding of what do they want to be different? You know, it's easy to recognize when things aren't going well, but it's sitting down and thinking about, all right, what, what do I really want to be different? What do I think I need? Um, one of the biggest mismatches that I found is people seeking out the wrong type of mental health provider. So what they're 
they're really looking for is someone to talk to or share skills with or um, get some support from, but they end up seeing someone, a mental health provider who only prescribes medications and does shorter visits. And so they'll come to me and they're like, oh, this is what I was looking for. This other therapist was bad. And I was like, well, what happened? And they were like, well, they just, they just wrote me a prescription. And I was like, well, that's their tool. That's what they do. So there are certain mental health professionals who really just focus on short evaluations and medications. There's some people who really focus on a lot of emotional support and not so much skills building. And then there's some people who do a lot of skills building and collaborative support. And so if you're someone who needs help with grief and you just need a place to like talk that's safe and just get it out and you end up seeing a therapist who does for example dialectical behavior therapy they're going to be trying to give you skills and homework Mm. and things like that and that's not what you want yeah you're just Um, like I just want someone to listen (laughs) stop giving me homework yeah Yeah. (laughs) right Um, and so it makes sense in the beginning before you're seeking out a therapist to kind of sit down with yourself and say all right what do I want help with what would I like to be different and what kind of provider do I think I need? And it makes sense to think about what kind of therapist do you want? Like some people feel sort of ashamed or bad or guilty if they want a man versus a woman. And it's like, you know, like if that's your preference, pay attention to that. That's totally fine. Um, If you need someone who's a little bit more serious or someone who doesn't talk as much, or if you need someone who has a particular skill set, like I need someone who's really good with insomnia or chronic pain or grief or health problems. And those are the things to be thinking about in advance before you kind of figure, go through the process of choosing a therapist. Mm -hmm. So at that point, should you like be considering and looking into what the different, you know, degrees mean and the different theoretical orientations mean? I think it's it is good to consider what is the approach of the therapist. Um, and it does make sense to just, I mean, you can just do some reading for like 15, 20 minutes. What are the different degrees and what do they mean? So what do they come with? What kind of training does a psychiatric nurse practitioner come with or a marriage and family therapist or a clinical psychologist? Like there's some big differences between them. And then it does make sense to educate yourself as a consumer of therapy on what are the different approaches of therapy and even just reading a paragraph or two about them, like emotion-focused therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy. I think ultimately, though, what matters the most is finding someone that you feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. and trust and, and who you can trust. I mean, in each therapist, we all have our skill sets and how we develop, but most therapists, 95%, I'd say, are pretty flexible. So if they figure, if you tell them like, hey, um, I know you practice CBT, but I'm actually looking for someone just kind of more to listen and I don't really want to do homework now. Is that okay with you? Most therapists would be like, sure, that's fine. And so I think the most important part is figuring out who you feel comfortable with in order to get some good results. We'll post some short descriptions of some of the major types of therapists that you'll you'll run into on group's website, grouppodcast.com, along with some blurbs about the most common forms of therapy. And I also has some descriptions, some really great descriptions in her book, and we'll link to that on the website. So Catherine, after you've done the self-reflection part that we were talking about, you know, you know what you want to get out of therapy, know sort of generally what type of therapist or types of therapists you would be interested in working with and what their approaches are. Then you have, you know, your additional preferences, like someone who takes my insurance mm-hmm. or offers a rate that is affordable for me. And I, I know a lot of therapists will offer sliding scales for people who have lower income levels. 
Yeah, it may also be worth considering, you know, if there's a, an age that you would feel more comfortable with, um, a specific cultural background maybe, or, or relational style. Yeah, so if you want like somebody who's closer in age to you, or if you want, if you're younger and you want someone who's like feels older and wiser, you know. Right, or someone who's going to be more interactive, yeah. or someone who's going to just kind of take in what, what you're saying and, yeah. and point out trends and themes and patterns or lgbtq friendly like i know from our our episode on mental health in the trans community that was like a specific thing that a lot of folks were looking for if you're experiencing like gender dysphoria or something like that you want a therapist who has studied that and sort of um can communicate with you in a way that acknowledging yeah yeah, what's going on with you um so let's go into like literally how you go about finding someone you know now that you have all this information you know what you're looking for how to get some names So one way to find a therapist is to simply call your health insurance company or go on your health insurance's website if you have health insurance. You can typically search by location, gender, specialty. There's usually other categories as well to find a therapist that would fit best with what you're looking for. There are also several online and phone directories, Psychology Today or GoodTherapy.org. I'm sure there are others out there. In New York, I use um, HeightSight.org a lot. Oh, cool. I hadn't heard of that one. HeightSight.org is a good one for people with Medicaid. It provides uh, okay. um, good resources, good clinics, mental health clinics uh, in New York City and the surrounding area. Um, and then... Oh, wait, go ahead. Sometimes trusted friends and colleagues can also recommend therapists with whom they've worked um, in the past or heard about. Sometimes that's kind of the easiest way to connect with somebody who you think would be a good fit for you. For someone who maybe doesn't have great insurance or maybe doesn't have insurance at all, what are some options for them for different places to look for therapists that isn't going to totally break their bank every month? Yeah. So at least in in New York City, most private therapists are not in network with insurance like Medicaid or um, health insurance plans through the Affordable Care Act. So if you're covered under one of these plans or if you're uninsured, you can typically access mental health services at a clinic or institute um, that is either in network with your health insurance carrier or, or provide services on a low sliding scale. Many private therapists have a sliding scale, but that might be more like even Mm -hmm. more per session, Um, whereas a sliding scale at a clinic or institute is typically more like $25 to $60 a session. I also know like Columbia University nearby has, you know, a training program for social workers or people who are getting their graduate degree in psychology. And so as part of the training program that those graduate students are going through, they'll often have um, therapy appointments with individuals, uh, maybe not for a long period of time because they're not going to be in school forever. Right. Um, which, you know, I think a lot, some people are wary about because they don't yet have their degree, but they will be like supervised by an advisor. Right. And they're, they also are, have the most up-to-date info too, because they're in school and they're studying it at yeah, that point. And they usually, usually have very close individual and group supervision. I tell people too, um, for the clinical institutes there, you may also have a, a student as your therapist. Um, but in those cases, a, a student could be a private therapist 
who has been working for 10 to 20 years, but is simply going to the Institute to get some additional mm-hmm. clinical training. Um, so being a student doesn't always necessarily speak to, you know, their ability to, to care for you and provide. So I asked listeners to call in with their experiences finding a therapist, you know, to share some of the things that worked for them, their frustrations, some of their victories. Here's the first one. This is Helen. I've seen my therapist for about seven months now. We mainly focus on mindfulness. I was looking for somebody I could identify with um, in terms of gender and race. So I was specifically looking for a woman who was an Asian American. She takes insurance. I'm super happy with her. I find uh, a lot of the physical exercises like breathing super, super helpful for me, um, keeping myself grounded. I would say the process of finding a therapist was really, really intimidating. It's hard in terms of finding somebody who I felt like I was a good fit with. That also um, took the insurance I wanted. I also felt like a lot of the places I was looking in terms of clinics had a really long wait period. I sort of lucked out after somewhat of a month of really, really dedicating myself to look for somebody. But essentially, it feels like almost an interview process of figuring out who is a good fit for you. Um, And my previous experience, my failed attempt at finding a therapist was through clinics. And I find that the wait process and the paperwork and just the organizational structure was really intimidating for me. Didn't really match me with somebody that I really wanted. It was more of kind of a paperwork process of who was available. So, yeah. What are some of the major frustrations you've heard from folks trying to find a good therapist? Well, it's hard to get one. Um, I'm not sure where your listeners are, but I'm in the U.S. and in a big city, and it's very challenging to find people with openings who are a good match for you. So many of the therapists I know have really full schedules, and so availability is, is tough. Sometimes I've heard it's just frustrating to try to get people to call back. And I had this with a client. I referred them for medication. I was like, yeah, I think I think we could probably benefit from a consult with a psychiatrist. And like one month later, they were like, no one is calling me back. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And so I went out and I tried to call. And I was like, yeah, I called like 20 psychiatrists, mm-hmm. less than emails. And I only, I only got about three responses. Um, so even from a provider standpoint, that's really tough. Do you think it's just because they're all so busy? Or like, wh- why? Because I've had, you know, personally, like trying to uh, find a, a good therapist. I just recently switched mm-hmm. insurance. And so I've been looking for one. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's really hard to get people to call you back. Why do you think that is? So there's there's a, a few different places you can find therapists. And the most common place is in private practice. But a therapist in private practice usually doesn't have a secretary. <laughs> they yeah. make their own hours and they're in session a lot. And if you're busy, it gets a little bit overwhelming to try to respond to a lot of emails or phone calls. They don't have a whole staff behind them. You know, they don't have that. And so when they get full, they tend not to respond. I mean, I try not to do that. I try to respond just to say, hey, I'm full. I think that's one of the major barriers is like there's not 
there's not one central listing for us. Like if someone in Seattle wants a therapist, they could, it would be ideal if they could just put out one email, like mm-hmm. here's my stuff, here's what I'm looking for. And then people with availability would respond. I thought that would be amazing, um, but that doesn't exist right now. I tried all of those therapist finder options that we discussed when I was looking for my new therapist. And I spent hours looking for someone through my insurance company's website, through the websites that we were talking about, like psychology today, all of these options have their own little frustrations. I, you know, I was disappointed with my health insurance's website. Uh, A lot of the therapists that were listed on there as taking my insurance didn't actually end up taking my insurance, which I only found out after I called them. A lot of them worked, were listed as taking my insurance, but that was because they worked for hospitals or research institutions. And so they took insurance for inpatient care, oh, okay. but not for like individual therapy sessions. Yeah. So I called my insurance company like a couple times about the website, trying to get better recommendations, but ultimately switched tactics and started searching for folks with a sliding scale. And yeah, I, I mean, uh, often some of the sliding scale prices were more than I could afford. They, you know, mm-hmm. I had budgeted... $200 a month for, for therapy, which I, I know for some people that's high, for, you know, in New York, that's well, that's pretty, right. pretty good. Yeah. I must've called like 30 different mental health professionals focusing on folks who took a sliding scale. Um, and ultimately the person that I found was through a recommendation from a friend who works, yeah. you know, was also a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had my first appointment with her last week and it went really well. It was 50 bucks. Um, that's great. Yeah. If you feel comfortable sharing with people that you're looking for a therapist, that's sometimes the best way to go. This whole process can be especially frustrating if you're expecting to, to easily find someone who's a good match and who takes your health insurance, like most other medical providers do. Yeah. That was one of the things that was most frustrating for me. It's been a decade since Congress passed the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act, which was supposed to make mental health and substance abuse treatment as easy as getting treatment for any other condition. But it's still hard to get your mental health care, especially outpatient care, regular therapy appointments covered. Um, So I chatted with Dr. Charbonneau about why that is. Super frustrating. And it's frustrating for therapists, too. It's really frustrating from the provider side. So in the United States, we have, obviously, private insurance. So a therapist has to, if you don't have any administrative staff, if you're just by yourself, you have to apply for credentialing through the insurance company. And that's a long process. So it takes like three to six months um, to get on a panel. And then as part of the contract with that insurance company, the insurance company determines the rate at which um, they will reimburse for your services. And so usually it's at a lower rate, like for example, let's just say I'm going to charge 150 is my usual rate for an hour. An insurance company might come back and say like, we're only going to pay you 135 or 120. So you're already taking sort of a reduced rate. And then insurance companies will also, um, they take a long time. So you have to submit for reimbursement. It takes a long time for the reimbursement to come back. One time took me like six months. I was like, where, where are you guys? Like what's happening? Um, and so, so therapists have to wait a long time um, to get reimbursed, which is if you're by yourself as a solo practitioner, no one's, no one's paying your salary except for you. Um, so that becomes sort of a stress for the, for the provider. 
And then they can also request records. They can deny claims. There's just a lot more. They put a lot more restrictions on what you can do. So it's, it's a lot for the provider to be looking at and managing versus if I just as a provider say, well, I'm not going to deal with insurance. You pay me and I'll give you a bill and you deal with your insurance. That eliminates a lot of hassle. My own personal opinion is like, Therapy is expensive, and I get that. Not everyone can afford to pay for therapy outright, and as part of making our services available, making good mental health care available, um, a lot of therapists, even despite all those hassles, do feel motivated um, to be on insurance panels, but you can't manage all of them either. <laughs> There's so many, and so I've, I sort of come to the compromise in my own practice of choosing two insurance panels, and I will help people with billing um, who aren't who aren't on the panel. So, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy because mental health is treated so differently from physical health by insurance companies. Right. And I've heard from colleagues too, that the health insurance companies can, as Anna kind of spoke to, try to dictate the plan of care, which if you want to see someone as long as they need to be seen, that can be really frustrating if the insurance company is suddenly saying that they're they're not willing they're to not pay covered for more anymore. sessions. Yeah. I'm actually in the process of um, signing a contract with Cigna, so I'll be able really? to report and let you know what that process and uh-huh. ongoing relationship is like. Well, yeah, I mean, way to go. I know that's hard because... Yeah, because everything Anna just said, but it's also, I mean, even if you just have one panel that you're on, like... Yeah, for me personally, I feel like ethically it's important that I accept some type of health insurance, though, as Anna said, I completely understand all the reasons why clinicians don't. I, I wanted to play a quick conversation that I had with a friend who I'm calling Emma, um, about her experience in therapy. And so we started chatting about payment. You know, if you have insurance that covers out-of-network providers, you can see a therapist who doesn't take insurance, but you pay up front and then you submit your claim and then you get partially reimbursed. But it can still be tricky and stressful financially. And Um, often there's a deductible that has to first be met before those out-of-network benefits will kick in. And so that's a lot to front on your own. So yeah, so we started chatting about that and then the conversation sort of evolved about when therapy gets... uh, weird. So my first therapist who I saw in 2014, he was a psychiatrist who came recommended through my mother's friend who was a psychiatrist herself. He was like this old white guy. And did he, did he, uh, how did the payment process work? Did he take your insurance? He did not take my insurance. He wanted reimbursements. It was $200 a session. And then I would just get 80% back through my insurance. Mm -hmm. And like, how long would it usually take for you to get the reimbursement checks? Oh, like three, four months. It's awful. I really hated it. It was just and you know, I didn't make a lot of money at the time. So I was just really anxious about going to therapy, which seems counterintuitive. Would you see him once a week? Once a week? Yeah, I wanted to go less, but he he was like, no, we have to see each other every week in order for this to work. Yeah. So then that's $800 a month. Mm-hmm. And then like, if you're not getting your payment checks back, at, you know, uh, within a couple of weeks or whatever, that can really like eat at your, uh, your, your money. Like that can just sort of start swallowing it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what did you like about this guy and what did you not like about him? 
I had a traumatic experience that I was trying to work through and he was very helpful with that. And I actually felt a lot better after we worked on that. But what I didn't like about him was everything after that. I had a lot of anxiety and depression and I didn't find him very helpful. Were there any particular red flags for you or uh, particular incidents that were, were like, I am not into this guy anymore? <laughs> yeah, there were a few. Um, first of all, he was older, so I wasn't really sure how well I could relate to him. That became evident over a few things that I shared with him. One time, you know, I was interested in getting an IUD and I was really anxious about it because it is, you know, this device that goes into your cervix. Mm-hmm. And he recommended that I try a diaphragm, (laughs) which I don't think that's been used since the 1970s as a birth control option. (laughs) Okay, so like a little out of touch with like women and women's issues and modern day society. Okay, um, was there anything else? I had been seeing him for a while and he I talked about my boyfriend at the time a lot, like all the time. Actually, a lot of what my anxiety stemmed from was my relationship with him. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so anxious about this relationship. And, uh, you know, I, trust was difficult. And so he was like, well, have you ever thought that maybe you're a lesbian? And this is why you spend all this time with women. And, you know, your relationship with your mother's not very great. And your sister, it's very strained. So Typical lesbian family relationship. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it just, it was a red flag because have you been listening to me the past couple of months? I mean, all I do is talk about my relationship with this man and... Mm-hmm. I saw him like for two weeks after that and then he wasn't really helping me anymore he also once around that time he you know someone with anxiety and depression it's hard for me to be happy and he told me once just why don't why don't you just try and be happy just be happy what if you just tried to do that once uh and you're like I try to do that every day. Yeah, I try. I try and do that all the time. It's uh-huh. just because you say it doesn't mean I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. But n- not with like typical, not with like steps or like, why don't you try to be happy through these, you know, mindfulness? It was, why don't you just try to be happy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, if there would, that's why I also wanted to leave. Um, so how did you end your relationship? Uh, I chickened out on one of our sessions and I called him and said I wasn't going to be there and said I didn't want to see him anymore. (laughs) And what did he say? He was like, oh, that's so sad. It's really unfortunate, but I understand. And also, because you didn't cancel the appointment 24 hours beforehand, I would usually charge the fee, but I'm not going to in this case. So... Emma's experience sort of uh, made me reflect on like what things a good therapist should absolutely be doing, which I checked in with Dr. Charbonneau about. So things to look for in a good therapist is someone who listens really well to you. That makes you feel really understood and heard. I think a good therapist is someone who's got everything else together too. Like, do they answer your phone calls? Are they available to you? Do they, you know, do they respond to your emails? That's what, if they use email. Um, are they showing up on time and ending on time, sort of respecting your time and doing billing appropriately? I feel like if someone is doing all of that stuff, then they've probably got their other stuff together too, um, clinically. 
a good therapist will have a consent form and will talk to you about what are the limitations of confidentiality. A good therapist should always be able to answer your questions. And I highly encourage people to ask questions of their therapist, especially if they're unsure about something. So a good question is like, how do you view clients? How are you going to help me um, with this problem? And the therapist should be able to give you a pretty decent answer. And you should be able to listen to that answer and feel like, yeah, that sounds like what I need or that sounds good. And then if there's ever a point where you're like, you know what, I don't understand or this doesn't feel comfortable that the therapist listens and responds to you. So um, therapy is sometimes uncomfortable, right? Like we're dealing with stuff that can be really hard. Um, and so it's not necessarily that you always want to be completely comfortable in therapy, but you always do want to have that trust with the person that you're talking to, that they have your best interest at heart, that they're understanding and that they're listening to you. Hi, Rebecca. This is um, Joshua Douglas, a.k.a. your brother. I want to share how I found my newest therapist. Um, yeah, so I just found her on um, psychologytoday.com, which is a great website. to just type in your zip code, uh, city, state. It just gives you a nice list of all these different therapists around your area and tells you all about them, like a little, a little blurb and their experience. Yeah, so I found my therapist who have been seeing her for about three months now, I'd say maybe four. Yeah, it hasn't been that long, but she's really great and super helpful. She's a clinical social worker and a therapist. And what she focuses on is using mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, and psychodynamic strategies customized to you, which is pretty nice. Again, I've had therapists in the past. I've never found someone as helpful as this. The ones I've had in the past, they just seem like they just listened to me or they just talked like they're like a friend. I feel kind of bad. Some of them I broke up with by just ghosting them. <laughs> That's bad, but yeah, it is what it is, I guess. So um, I, I love that Josh uses the phrase breaking up and ghosting, which is language that you use, you know, usually in romantic relationships, right? which is you know, reflective of like the intimacy that you have, you know, also complicated by the fact that it's, you know, a professional relationship. It's not a friendship. It's not a romantic relationship. Yeah. I mean, it is a relationship, right? And yeah. although one person is a clinician, it's still two people. Yeah. engaging in some sort of interaction. It is this intimate relationship. And yet because it's not a romantic relationship or a friendship, I think oftentimes people feel like they don't have to, they don't owe, you know, their provider a conversation that they can just hmm. like stop responding to them. So, yeah. So I, I, I'm personally, I've been, I'm guilty of doing this. I, when I was in um, college, I saw a couple therapists that I just you know, stopped responding to. I wanted to ask Anna if this was, you know, a common thing uh, and if, you know, how guilty I should feel. I think it helps to think about 
instead of bad or good, <laughs> we're deciding those judgments, sort of like, okay, is this working? And, and again, this is where it comes in handy to have thought before you start therapy about what you want out of therapy, because it's hard when you're not, you just know you're not getting what you need, but you don't exactly know what you need either. You just know that this isn't it. So I think, first of all, you do what you got to do, right? You got to, the only way to get out of an uncomfortable <laughs> relationship for you is to not go anymore and not say anything, like honor that part of yourself and just get the help that, that will feel better for you. So uh-huh. if you just cannot bring yourself to do it, like that's okay, right? Like, okay, we therapists get it. It's fine. It happened. You're probably the first person that that happened to. I guess that's true. They're dealing with a lot of people who, you know, have a, a range of uh, issues. So. I'm sure they're familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so especially if a therapist works a lot with social anxiety, one of the norm, you know, sort of the normalizing processes at the beginning of therapy, like, hey, there may be times where it's uncomfortable for you to bring stuff up. I would really like you to do it. Here's how you could do it. Um, and kind of giving the client some tools to use if that starts coming up, right? So a good therapist is kind of like attuned to what's going on with you. Like, hey, you know, it doesn't look like you feel really comfortable right now. Do you want to have some space to talk about that? So if you're struggling you can do a few things. So I recommend like sit down and think about, all right, what isn't working for me? What would I like to be different? I have a chapter in my book, what to do when therapy isn't going well, how to request change. It's like sort of step-by-step. Here's how you do it. But you think about what you want to be different and then make a simple request. So you can write it down. You can come with notes. You could ask your therapist like, hey, there's something that's been bothering me, but I'm having a hard time talking about it and I don't know what to do. That's what your therapist is there for. Like sit down and say like, okay, before we get started today, I have to say that I'm struggling in this therapy session and, and, and I don't know how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right? And like dump that in the therapist's lap. That's their job. Like they should help you figure out how to do that. That's a perfectly fine way to proceed. Yeah. And then typically from there, a therapist can either kind of adjust their style or say, I'm not the person who can provide you what you're looking for and maybe suggest a colleague or help you find someone who would be a good fit, but then you're not starting back at square one looking on psychology today or calling your health insurance. Yes, which, which is what you do yeah, if you ghost your therapist. I know. It would be much easier to fix what's going on by ta- having a conversation as opposed to yeah. just um, ending it. And um, when I make mental health referrals, I tell clients that, yeah, we're first and foremost professionals and understand, you know, the kind of challenging dynamics at work and that sometimes one person's style just isn't a good fit. And so it can be hard, but people should feel comfortable bringing that forward. Um, so I want to play one more voicemail. It's a little longer, but it's an amalgamation of sort of some of the things we've discussed already. So um, I'll play this and then we'll wrap up. My first therapist, I found her through my boyfriend's therapist. She is a pastoral counselor and therapist. She said that this process would be a process of me finding something out about myself. So I was like, okay, what am I supposed to find out about myself? (laughs) What's what's coming? Like, what's going to happen? And so in that vein, I would go to therapy thinking like, I'm saying all these things and she's going to say things back to me and these are going to lead me to the answer. And so I went into therapy and I I said, you know, I, 
I'm telling you these things in our sessions and things are, you know, coming apart and getting looked at closely and, and, and I don't know what's happening. And then I leave therapy and I feel like I don't know who I am. And I'm just like in a million pieces. And I, I just want, I need help. I'm not able to function. I need help in therapy to kind of hold myself together a little more strongly. I may have mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy to her um, as like wanting some tools similar to that to help me just like function better because I just felt like I was at, I was just at work and I was like, I'm not getting enough work done. I'm not focusing on my projects that I, in the way I need to, um, to which her response, you know, quite rightly, she's like, I don't do that. I don't do cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, so, okay, fair, (laughs) but, um, she said that is like a shortcut or a quick fix that won't really get you in, you know, in the long run to where we want to go, which is find this new person. You're just always going to be putting a, a bandaid on your problems instead of actually working through them. And I was like, okay, fine. And, but it I think maybe, I don't even, I think maybe I saw her one more time and then, and then I, I had to stop seeing her, which, I had a lot of anxiety about, I think that I could have, and, and that I should have been more honest with her, that I just felt like it wasn't working, but I, I felt like the kind of therapy wasn't working, but I think I just felt so much guilt about that. I felt guilty that I couldn't stick with it because I'm very well aware that the first three to six months of therapy is not easy, that you are kind of a mess. Like I know, like everyone tells me that. (laughs) So I felt like I was quitting. Yeah. sounds like she tried to talk about how she wanted tools Mm -hmm. to help deal with her anxiety, you know, like on a day-to-day basis, she wanted some exercises. She mentioned she asked about CBT. What do you think she should have done in that situation when her therapist was like, "I, I don't do that? Should she have asked for a referral or should she have? Yeah. I mean, she could have seen if her therapist had someone, you know, she could recommend who provide CBT. It sounds like the therapist wasn't very friendly to CBT itself. So yeah. that is challenging. It was nice hearing Dr. Charbonneau say that it's okay if you, you know, have to end a relationship. It's not worth feeling guilty over. Another, another theme that does seem to be coming up is going to therapy leading to anxiety, which seems to be as a result of not, not having a, a great match. Mm. Right. Yeah. I mean, but therapy can also sometimes cause anxiety if you're digging through some really challenging memories or past experiences, or if, you know, in, in doing a modality like CBT or DBT, you're being assigned homework. That's Mm -hmm. challenging. I mean, you're changing behaviors that are deeply ingrained. That's, that's going to feel uncomfortable. If you're feeling anxiety because of the intensity of the work, not because it's a, it's a bad match. It's important in those moments Though you may not want to attend your sessions, it's actually most important that you attend your sessions when you're feeling that way. So we can work through it together as opposed to you just spinning in that anxiety by yourself. So I'm sure there are folks who are listening who are just like, you know, maybe in a bad place, like a a really bad place, and they need help immediately and can't face doing, you know, the work that it takes to, to find someone 
who's a really good fit for them. So, you know, I asked Dr. Charbonneau what to do if that's the case. I think in the U.S., it makes a lot of sense to call your primary care doctor and just get in with them. Be like, just show up like, hey, I'm depressed because they will have on-site mental health care. They'll have referrals. They'll have, you know, they will be able to support you and can may be able to do some little legwork for you. So just like handing you a referral or if that doesn't work, going to a community mental health center. It makes sense to just, if you are really struggling, just get any support as quickly as possible and then work on, all right, I, you know, once you're stabilized a little bit, finding someone who's a really good match, that would be better. I, I spoke briefly with the president of the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, and she was saying that if in, you're in like a, going through some severe depression and I just can't motivate yourself to, to do this work, to find someone good, that if you have someone in your life who is an ally to you, who understands who's been there for you, if you have somebody like that in your life, you know, a family member, a close friend who can do some of the research for you um, yeah. and help you find someone good. I mean, as a social worker, too, at a human services organization, I mean, a lot of if you have any connection to a social services organization, sometimes that kind of case management involves helping you connect with somebody. I know in, in helping people find therapists around the country too, I've found like Dr. Charbonneau referenced local mental health associations to be really helpful. And they often know kind of the best, most easily accessible resources in the area where they are. And so simply calling sometimes they'll give you some direct numbers, some direct contacts and, and maybe help you pare down your options a little bit. So that's our show for today. Visit grouppodcast.com for additional information on how to find a therapist. If you have a question or a comment or an idea for a future show, you can call the new group voicemail at 707-510-0270. That's also listed on our website at the Contact Us page. Contact us there, or you can email me at rebecca at grouppodcast.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you download your podcast to make sure that you have the next episode when it comes out. There's a link to subscribe on our website. Also, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It's an easy thing that uh, you can do that will really help the show. If you subscribe, you can look for our Valentine's Day episode uh, we're putting together with Hattie Cooper, the author of The Anxious Girl's Guide to Dating. She's lovely and very warm and funny, and I think it's going to be a great episode. Uh, If you're interested in Catherine's work as a therapist, you can visit her website, catherinedrury.com, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-D-R-U-R-Y.com. Music in this episode is by The Losers. Uh, We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, if you're looking for a therapist, may the force be with you. Uh, It is frustrating, but it is worth it. And if you aren't feeling it with your current therapist, it's okay to ask for a change. Take care and be kind to yourself. Everything is going to be okay. Uh, Yes, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. You are, in fact, in a seated... In, in the exit row, yes. Uh, oh, no, my question is for Gareth. So when you die, you, you're just gone forever? Bingo. Ma'am, why? And religion is a delusion that shields us from that impermanence. If you're interested, I can recommend several podcasts. Okay.